just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Wednesday. And yes, I know, I didn't do a podcast yesterday. I had people emailing me. I had people DMing me. I had somebody even make a comment on one of my Facebook posts. Dude, you didn't do a podcast yesterday. What's going on? (laughs) Now listen, man, some people do podcasts once a week, twice a week. I do it every day, sometimes twice a day. But there will be those times when something happens where I can't do it one day. And that something happened yesterday. I got sick. I had a cold, a runny nose, a sore throat. In fact, in the previous podcast, I think on Monday, you heard my voice was scratchy. So that was the start of it. And then came uh, Tuesday, and things went to shit. (laughs) I got on some medication and all that sort of stuff. But I was wondering where I got this from, because my wife's sick, too. It's just she and I down in Georgia right now. Uh, just south of Savannah, and we both got this cold. I mean, we're still doing stuff, but we got this cold just kind of dragging us down. And I thought at first, well, maybe we got it on the plane, you know, all kinds of unhealthy motherfuckers on the plane. You could have got it there. But then I realized where I actually got it, and I'm not quite as upset about it. You see, on Saturday, my wife and I went to see my grandson play soccer. He had a soccer game. And, of course, his little sister was there, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, who I will do anything to see, and the grandson, too, for that matter. But uh, we're chasing her around, we're carrying her, we're kissing her on the head. And all that time we're doing that, this little uh, Petri dish of bacteria is blowing snot bubbles out of her nose. So she was sick. She had a cold. Now, it didn't slow her down at all. She was moving just as fast as she normally does, but clearly she had some kind of bug. So apparently, whatever bug she had, my wife and I got as well. Now, I will tell you this. In retrospect, if someone would have told me, you're going to see your granddaughter, but you're going to catch a cold so you can decide whether you want to go or not, fuck that, I'm in. I'll suffer through a cold just to see that goofy little kid. That may, that's far more valuable to me than getting sick now and again. So I didn't do a podcast yesterday because I was sick. Uh, I am doing a podcast today in spite of the fact I'm still sick, not as sick as yesterday. But doing this podcast in this particular condition reminds me back in my working days I was a traffic reporter on the radio. I first went on the air every morning at 6 a.m. There was really nobody that did what I did. And even if I had somebody who did what I did, who am I going to call at 5 o'clock in the morning and say, dude, you got to work? So I was forced to go in sick many times. And I powered through it. Now, of course, I was younger when I was doing that. As I got older, there was one occurrence where... I was sick. I was just doing my reports every 10 minutes like I normally do, but I literally lost my voice. And I don't lose my voice very often, but in this case, 
I literally couldn't talk. So they'd cut to me and nobody would hear anything. So at that point, they made the decision, dude, maybe you should go home and we'll figure it out, which I did. But uh, I'm used to doing these kinds of things sick. But now that I'm 62 and I'm retired, I don't really have to fucking do it. So if you if you miss the podcast on Tuesday, I apologize for that. I'm feeling better now, so we'll pick up the speed and uh, we'll get back to doing what we're doing. Now, as I said, I'm down in Georgia. My wife and I are here till, well, we're leaving at noon on Thursday, so tomorrow. Uh, and then I'll be back in my home court at home. And uh, there'll be a podcast for Wednesday. And uh, then we'll get more normal podcast coming Thursday. Uh, no, coming Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so forth. Now, I've got a couple of people um, that want to be on the show, too. Uh, newer gentleman that we haven't had on the show yet. His name is TJ. He wrote me a podcast, our podcast, wrote me an email, and we're going to sit down and figure something out. And then Kevin was another gentleman who's been on the show before and very compelling. He'll be on a future show as well. Now, I did get an email, and this email comes from a woman. I'll just say her name's V. I don't think she wants me to give her name. It, uh, it says, hi, Mike. Well, it looks like the Republicans are going all in with the immigration as the issue for the midterms with Ron DeSantis of Florida pulling the stunt of flying migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyards and Greg Abbott of Texas also flying migrants from his home state to uh, Vice President Harris's hometown. They are stirring their base and trying to control the narrative that their states are not sanctuaries and corporate media letting the Republicans justify these actions, even when they're just political stunts and inhumane. Republicans will stop at nothing to accomplish their goals. They'll use humans as pawns, not giving a crap whose lives they impact or ruin. I'm curious to what their October surprise will be. Maybe more immigration scare tactics and open border claims, even though the laws have not changed since their dear leader was president. But you know what has changed? Joe Biden has invested into more border security and had the president of Mexico commit to $1.5 billion to help secure the southern border. Yet that story was glossed over by the media this past summer. Donald Trump never got Mexico to pay, but Joe Biden did. It's really up to independent media and people like you who use their platforms to highlight Joe Biden's and the Democrats' accomplishments. We all know they're not perfect, but at this time, the Democrats are the only party that's willing to do anything to help the people. Thank you for using your platform for that, and please continue with the good work. V. All right, V. Thank you very much for those comments, and you're absolutely right. What will be the Republicans' October surprise. I don't know that they can have a bigger surprise than what's going to hit them in the face in October. The January 6th hearings are starting back up on the 28th and probably will go through October. We've got uh, some really serious shit going on there. You're going to be seeing uh, sitting members of Congress, uh, Supreme Court Justice's wife, 
all exposed for being part of the insurrection. Uh, you're right, they're trying to change the narrative with this immigration thing, but all they do is look bad by doing it. They're not very adept at trying to grab the narrative when somebody else is kind of controlling it. They're really good at it when other people just let them do it, but now the Democrats aren't allowing that. And the news is such where uh, even if the Democrats weren't screaming it, it's enough of a news story where it's kind of overpowering anything that the Republicans will say. Well, they'll try other stunts, but uh, I don't know if you heard that the Sheriff's Department in Texas is investigating what um, Ron DeSantis did, and there might be some illegalities of that whole thing. I also understand that uh, some of these immigrants have lawyers now, and they are planning to sue Ron DeSantis for as much as $75,000 each. None of this is going to be good press for Ron DeSantis. Ron's going to have a hell of a time winning the governorship, let alone going for the presidency in 2024. I still think the midterms are going to be handled by the Democrats, only because I see no reason why the Republicans should win. There's just no reason. Everything they've done has been an utter failure. Um, you know, overturning Roe v. Wade, all the other stuff that's going on with the investigations, Donald Trump's secret documents, and we'll talk about that in a second. That's been a huge failure for Donald Trump. Um, the Republicans will try virtually anything. I mean, to the point where Donald Trump is so desperate, he's now uh, right in line with Q. He always kind of uh, was cagey about that. Well, I, I like to do good things, so if they like that, then I'm with them. But he never said he was part and parcel um, part of Q. But now it's a little different story. He's repeating Q drops. He's giving these speeches about the horrors of Democrats, and they're playing Q's theme song behind him. It's all very dramatic, but Donald Trump is such a dumb-looking motherfucker, it doesn't work with normal folks. As I've always said, we can't really change the minds of certain numbers of people, but those numbers of people are pretty small, and they're starting to diminish. So even though we can't change their minds, there's enough reasonable-minded people independents and Republicans that have above average intelligence that are just saying, yeah, this is, this is fucked up. I don't want any part of that. So I don't think you really have to worry about it. Immigration is really all they've got to argue. And uh, it's, a, it's a, a concern by people only because the Republicans create these stories. Let's be perfectly honest. The the border problem is no different than it was with, with Donald Trump or Obama or uh, George Bush or anybody else. The border's always been a problem. There's never been any answer to it. Now, the good news, like uh, what V said in that, in that uh, email, is that Donald Trump kept talking about how the Mexicans were going to pay for a wall, which is, you know, such an archaic strategy to dealing with the problem. Uh, and of course, they never did. That said, Joe Biden came with more current type of strategies. And the Mexicans peeled off 1.5 billion. Sounds like Donald Trump fucking failed. And uh, Joe Biden won. And you're right, people don't 
tout that or scream it from the rooftops, and they should. I mean, everything that Donald Trump has did while he was in office, and there was very little, it's all pale in comparison to what Joe Biden's accomplished. He's probably been the most successful president legislatively in his first two years in the history of the country. So you can't hardly fault Joe Biden. He's trying. At the same time, when the Republicans are doing whatever they can to obstruct him, they're doing to him the same thing they did to Obama. And that's what you have to understand. These things, you you can complain about Joe Biden not getting things done, but if you're obstructed at every turn and you only have a 50-50 Senate, what the fuck are you supposed to do? I mean, we can only hope that that will be remedied in the midterms and we'll get a wider margin in the Senate after November. Now, we talk about Donald Trump's failures, and they just keep coming. He's always fucking failing. He never wins. He's never right. And, of course, this situation with the top-secret documents, it's really a weird situation. He's got one good lawyer that he paid a lot of money up front, mind you, and they're trying to work on this situation with the documents. They're saying that they're declassified, but they're not saying that they're declassified. So if Donald Trump thought the special master assigned to review records seized during the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago last month would do him some special favors, well, he was mistaken. Now, remember, this special master, his people personally picked out. Merrick Garland said, cool, he sounds like a good guy. Now, this guy's an old-time judge. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan. He's legitimate, he's honest, and he's dealt with national security before. Now, federal judge Raymond Deary repeatedly chided the former president's lawyers for refusing to provide evidence to back up Trump's claims that all those highly sensitive documents related to national security that were discovered in his Florida residence and private club were actually declassified. Funny thing is, the lawyers won't say they're declassified, but they're very, I don't know, they're very sketchy about it. They, they're not saying they are, and they're not saying they aren't. And, and the reason they're doing that is because if they say they are declassified, well, then they're lying to a judge. And that requires some jail time. So they aren't going to do that. That said, Donald Trump will be out on TV or rallies or whatever saying that they were all declassified, that he somehow magically declassified all these things by waving his hands over the top of the boxes, which doesn't work. You can't declassify documents that way. Now, in a letter to Deary on Monday night, the lawyer said the issue could be part of Trump's defense if he's indicted, according to the Associated Press. So what they're saying is, well, we'd like to give you the evidence, but we might need it for a criminal defense. Deary seems skeptical. He told Trump's lawyers on Tuesday that if they will not actually assert the records that have been declassified, and if the Justice Department makes an acceptable case that they remain classified, then as far as I'm concerned, that's the end of it. You got no further to go. Now, remember, this this guy is the guy that Donald Trump's team recommended. Deary said, you can't have your cake and eat it. That's how Deary summed up his position. 
although Trump keeps claiming that all the records believed to have been in his possession were declassified. His lawyers have not made that argument to the court, though they have repeatedly asserted that a president has absolute authority to declassify information. And that is true, but there is a process. You can't just think it and have it done. Now, these lawyers know that. They're just trying to play a game. And see, the thing about it is, I don't think they ever thought they could win this case, but they thought they could delay it. Julie Edelstein, a Justice Department lawyer, told the court she was hopeful that the department could get documents digitized and provided to Trump's lawyers by early next week, according to the AP. Um, Edelstein also noted that the DOJ had given Trump's legal team a list of five vendors approved by the government for the purpose of scanning, hosting, and otherwise processing the seized records. See, the thing is, they want to see these records. They don't know all of what's in there. Donald Trump doesn't know all of what's in there. And, of course, the lawyers don't. So they want to see what they're up against. They want to see what they're trying to protect. And I think when they see it, they're going to go, holy fuck, we are screwed. Now, Deary told Trump's lawyers to agree on a vendor this week, according to the New York Times. Trump's lawyers argued in a separate filing on Tuesday that the Justice Department had not proved that the records remain classified. Well, they had a picture of said documents where it said classified and top secret on them. I don't know how much more you can do. That's prima facie evidence. And these people have offered nothing to say they are declassified. In the case of someone who's been president of the United States, they have unfettered access along with unfettered declassification authority, James Trusty, one of Trump's lawyers, said Tuesday. Deary reminded the lawyers that they were the ones with the burden of establishing the former president's right to relief, not the Department of Justice. Deary's uh, cake comments gave many Twitter users food for the thought. Here's one. Uh, Jennifer Taub, I don't know who she is. He said, I guess my view of it is that you can't have your cake and eat it too. In other words, that's fine if Donald Trump's lawyers don't want to present evidence of classification at this juncture, but then Deary would look at them as classified documents, since their burden is on them. And this is the problem. They, They want to do what they can to delay this, but they're the ones that brought this lawsuit, so they have to show some proof that these are classified. But, of course, they aren't classified. You know, they're trying to play with loopholes and bullshit just to delay this, and for whatever reason, they want to delay it past the midterms. I'll be perfectly honest, whether it goes, whether it comes to pass prior to the midterms or after, After the midterms, the damage has been done. Uh, It's not really going to make a difference. It's not going to change the midterms if they uh, do something with this now. Uh, This came from Dan Frumkin. Someone with actual authority actually tells Trump, you can't have your cake and eat it too. That tells you that these lawyers have come to this court case unprepared, don't really have any kind of argument at all. And because they brought this suit, they really are kind of responsible 
to uh, having some kind of uh, some kind of proof. So theoretically, this could be done in short order. If they can't show some reason for the lawsuit, Judge Deary could ultimately just throw this out. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens, and we'll see if uh, anything actually occurs with this because it's 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 I don't know it's it's pretty ridiculous. This is Donald Trump doing what he does. He's just trying to play games. He's trying to delay it. And the funny thing about it is I've always said this. I don't know what good it is to delay it because it always comes to pass. They can delay it for a month. They're trying to run out time. But what are they trying to run out time from now? Theoretically, some people might think it's the midterms. But as I say, the damage has really been done with overturning Roe v. Wade, the investigations, the exposure that Donald Trump is stealing and selling top secret documents. Whether he gets indicted or not is probably not going to be a factor in terms of the midterms. I mean, it's not going to help him if he gets indicted prior to the midterms, but I don't think it's going to throw it the Republicans' way if he doesn't get indicted by the midterms. Now, there is one bit of news that's coming out, and actually by the time you hear this podcast, it may already be out because on Wednesday morning at 10.30 Eastern Time, So if we're before that, you can be waiting for it, or maybe you can tell us more about what happened. But it's been reported that uh, Letitia James, the attorney general for the state of New York, has got a big press conference, and she's got a big announcement. Now, the only thing she could be announcing at this point is that she is bringing a lawsuit against the Trump Organization, Donald Trump himself, or even one of Donald Trump's kids. And that's likely what's going to happen. Remember, she deposed the entire family. She's got all kinds of evidence. She's been working on this a long time. Now, it's important to remember this is not a criminal trial. This is going to be a civil trial. But Letitia James has long said her intention is to shut down and dissolve the Trump organization. And that may already happen Because you'll remember that the uh, Trump organization was criminally indicted and they will be going on trial sometime soon. And uh, Alan Weisselberg, the CFO, is going to testify against the organization. So when it's all said and done, the Trump organization will be no more one way or another. But Letitia James is announcing today likely to be a lawsuit against the organization, Trump, the family, or all of them. It could be all of them. Letitia James got a bit of a hard-on for Donald Trump. She wants to shut his crime family down. That's exactly what she said early on in this investigation. And i got to be honest with you. I, uh, I wouldn't put it past Letitia James. She's one tough uh, prosecutor. And she is going to take Donald Trump and the organization to task. And if she can shut him down, she will definitely do that. And again, it's not a criminal court. But here's the thing. If they go to trial, 
And they are going to trial. Remember, Donald Trump came to her and said, hey, you want to settle out of court? And she basically said, fuck no, we're not settling out of court. Fuck yourself. The thing is, a lot of evidence is going to come out in this civil case. And that's going to open the eyes and the ears of Alvin Bragg, the DA in Manhattan District Court. We know that uh, he basically got a conviction on Alan Weisselberg. They're going to trial, a criminal trial against the Trump organization. And Alvin Bragg seemed to back off of going after Donald Trump personally when he took over the job from Cyrus Vance. Well, when this trial starts, and it's going to start, uh, whoever is she's suing, and I'm thinking Donald Trump will be one of the people being sued, um, at the very least the Trump organization, there's going to be a lot of evidence that comes out of there. Not only will Alvin Bragg know of this evidence, but so will the general public. And there will be pressure on Alvin Bragg then to um, look at investigating and bringing charges against Donald Trump of a criminal nature. So we're not done with the Manhattan District and Donald Trump. Whatever Letitia James announces, and I'm sure it's a lawsuit, that's all she could really do, um, it's going to throw the Trump organization, Donald Trump, his family, and everybody else that's involved into a fucking tizzy. Because by the time she's done, the amount of money in that lawsuit could pretty much bankrupt Donald Trump and the Trump organization. Then you throw in the fact there's a criminal case against the Trump organization. That company's pretty much done. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, when that company got indicted, that was pretty much the end of it. But this will, this will bury it. And the interesting thing is, if, if Letitia James brings this civil case to court, that is probably going to require the likes of Donald Trump and his family members to testify. I'm guessing that Alan Weisselberg will be called to testify too. Now, Alan Weisselberg says, I'm not going to testify against Donald Trump, just the Trump organization. Well, if you know anything about the Trump organization, it's a very small group of people. Donald Trump was the focal point of the corporation. If you're going to speak out against the corporation, indirectly you're speaking out against Donald Trump. I think he's just saying that to cover his ass, but he knows that he's going to have to give up information. See, the deal is he's going to serve five months with his plea agreement. But if he goes on the stand and lies, well, then it immediately becomes 15 years. So he's not going to fucking lie. And he can't claim the fifth because he's already been convicted. So he doesn't need the fifth protection. He's already been convicted. So he has to answer and he has to be honest. And as much as he may not want to testify against Donald Trump, trust me. He will be testifying against Donald Trump. So we'll see what Letitia James does. Obviously, we'll be able to talk more about it uh, tomorrow on the podcast because we'll know what she did and how she did it. But be watching for it and uh, listen to what she says. And then we'll talk about it tomorrow. All right, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Now, if you watch my TikToks, you kind of know where I'm sitting when I do my podcast normally. I'm sitting in an office chair. 
TVs above me. You don't usually see that. And behind me, I got a bunch of pictures of family and all that kind of stuff. That's where I'm sitting. But now I'm in Georgia, and I'm sitting in a condo that doesn't have all the furniture. So just to give you a visual about where I am and what I'm doing now. As I say, I'm in Savannah, Georgia, the south side of Savannah. And uh, I'm in the condo. I'm in the living room. I'm sitting on a couch. I've got a bar stool in front of me with a computer and a microphone. My nose is running. My throat hurts. And I'm coughing intermittently (laughs) as I do this. So I'm having to go back and edit it out. But if I forget to edit one out, you know what the fuck is up. Dude's sick. And uh, we'll just all have to deal with it, me especially. All right. Let's get back to... uh, the news at hand, uh, you know, of course, Ron DeSantis and his little fucking game of sending undocumented immigrants to Martha's Vineyard has been in the news. And as much as he's proud of the fact that he did it, he's getting a beating in the press and by most people of a decent mind. But he's loving it. He thinks he's doing something. He thinks he's starting to control the narrative. But of course, He's not. He's not as smart a man as people like to believe he is. He's smarter than Donald Trump, but frankly, everybody's fucking smarter than Donald Trump. A group of Venezuelan migrants whom Florida Governor Ron DeSantis lured away from Texas and relocated to Massachusetts last week has filed a class action lawsuit against the governor and others involved in the scheme Tuesday, saying the officials defrauded and inflicted them with economic, emotional, and constitutional harms as part of a reckless political stunt. The lawsuit filed in a U.S. district court in Massachusetts was brought forth by three of the roughly 50 migrants. The court documents identified them as Yannette Doe, who boarded the plane with her husband, 11-year-old son, and other family members, Pablo Doe, who was lured on board with his two brothers, and Jesus Doe. Now, of course, Doe's a fake name. Uh, uh, Nom de plume, I guess you would call it. Uh, They're not going to give out their real names because God knows some of these trump would probably threaten them. These immigrants who are pursuing the proper channels of lawful immigration status in the United States experienced cruelty akin to what they fled in their home country, the lawsuit states. Now, remember, the Texas Sheriff's Department is also looking into it as well. The lawsuit accuses DeSantis of breaching the Fourth Amendment protections from unreasonable seizures and 14th Amendment protections against depriving people of their freedoms and due process of law, among other several violations. Now, some people will say, well, they're undocumented immigrants. They don't have any rights. Well, that's not true. That's not true. And we'll find that out in the court case. Defendants manipulated them, stripped them of their dignity, deprived them of their liberty, bodily autonomy, due process, and equal protection under the law, and impermissibly interfered with the federal government's exclusive control over immigration in furtherance of an unlawful goal and a personal political agenda. In addition, in addition to DeSantis, who claimed credit for relocating the migrants using state money, tax money, 
The lawsuit targets the state of Florida, the Florida Department of Transportation, the agency's secretary, Jared Perdue, and five unidentified people involved in getting the migrants to board planes. The lawsuit reiterates many of the alleged details of the stunt that have emerged in recent days. Migrants, many of them from Venezuela seeking legal asylum in the U.S., were lured away from a migrant resource center in Texas by hired scouts who offered food, gift cards, free hotel rooms, and the promise of receiving legal work papers. If they boarded planes, they were told were bound for Washington, D.C. and Boston. The plaintiffs in the lawsuit all said they were approached and lured into the journey by a woman who introduced herself as Perla. I mean, what this is, is just absolute cruelty. I mean, what is the fucking point? You're trying to make a political statement by doing a political uh, stunt, and you're using these poor people as, as pawns. Now, here's the thing. As much as they are undocumented immigrants, they were trying to go through the legal process to become citizens of this country. That is a law. That's something that's afforded to people. People get asylum. But these people jump in, all butthurt about immigration and wanting to make that the narrative, and they pull this fucking stunt. In reality, the migrants were dropped off on Martha's Vineyard, a wealthy, isolated island in Massachusetts, accessible only by plane or boat, and provided none of the work, housing, education, or immigration assistance the scouts had promised. No one on Martha's Vineyard or in the state of Massachusetts had even gotten a heads up on this situation. They were left in the dark with nothing on a tarmac on an island, the lawsuit states. Shortly before the planes landed, migrants on board said they received a brochure. Fuckers printed a brochure, a fake brochure. It was entitled Massachusetts Refugee Benefits. Though it looked official, the lawsuit claims the defendants manufactured those brochures and filed them with misleading information. The migrants identified in the lawsuit all say they would never have agreed to board those planes if they knew the truth about their destination. The plaintiff identified as Janet Doe said she was worried her family would be deported for missing their appointments with immigration judges after being stranded in Martha's Vineyard. See, that's the thing. These people were scheduled by these same clowns to be in immigration court in Seattle and in Texas and all this shit. They didn't, they didn't fucking care. They were putting these people in a no-win situation, and they were, they were at a, at a, uh, they were at a state in in their situation where they were having to take the advice of government officials, assuming that they were telling them real, truthful things, and then they find out that they were scammed. Is this really how our government in this country works? You may not like immigrants, but you still have a constitution you have to follow. And I'm hoping against hope these people do sue them and they end up having to pay. They were talking to like $75,000 per, per uh, uh, immigrant, and there were like 50 of them. This was all just for show. This is what Republicans do. They don't care if they sacrifice people as long as they benefit from it somehow. 
All right, let's let's move on to Donald Trump because he's a fucking idiot. Uh, former Watergate figure John Dean warned that there will be violence as Donald Trump finds himself increasing legal peril. Richard Nixon's former White House counsel, who was disbarred after his Watergate conviction, offered his analysis following Tuesday's hearing in a Brooklyn courtroom before Special Master Raymond Deary. It seems Trump's lawyers are trying to protect his lie that he declassified the Mar-a-Lago comments or documents. Dean wrote in a thread posted on Twitter, GOP does not want him to declare until after 11-8, so he needs to lie. He feels rightly he won't be indicted until after the midterms. After the midterms, he will declare. And that makes sense. I mean... Let's be honest, we'll probably hear the real intentions of Joe Biden after the midterms at that point. But as I've said to you before, two years is a long time. If you think Joe Biden and Donald Trump will be the candidates in 2024, you may be surprised. If you think the candidates will be Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis, I think you will be surprised. I honestly don't believe that we know who the candidates will be in 2024, and we'll have to wait and see. There's a lot of shit that's going down, and a lot of it will have some bearing on who's available to run for president in 2024. Now, assuming Joe Biden stays healthy, he theoretically could, but he'll be 82 years old, and I just don't think he'll do it. Donald Trump probably won't be legal, legally able to do it, and frankly, Ron DeSantis may not be able to be legally available to run for president either. So don't get too caught up on who's running in 2024. We don't fucking know. Two years is too long a time to really know for sure. There's a lot of shit that's going to happen between now and then. As a POTUS candidate, he is not only the center of attention, but he can claim any indictment is a political act to keep him out of the Oval Office. Running for POTUS is the best defense for from going to jail. Dean went on to predict multiple indictments for the former president. Trump will be indicted in a RICO action in Georgia and federally for obstruction of justice at minimum for his theft of classified information, plus sedition, conspiracy, and conspiracy to defraud at minimum for the January 6th insurrection. In short, he should face three criminal cases before 2024. And I think that's absolutely realistic. He believes he can use the dictator's ploy of mounting riots if the government comes after him, and some of his followers will comply, so there will be some violence. I'm not so sure of that. But law enforcement, the National Guard, and U.S. military, of course, will prevail. There is no protection for them now that Trump is no longer in office, and Trump will earn added criminal charges. He further predicted Trump and GOP enablers are an evil that must be addressed for what is doing what it's doing to our nation. The way to deal with that is to stay informed for only fools want what Trump is offering. So here's the deal. If he gets indicted by, I believe, any one of these things, he legally cannot run for president. I mean, he can bitch and moan and whine and cry all he wants, but if he gets convicted of something as simple as a Presidential Records Act, uh, he can't run for president again. 
One of these, if not all of them, are going to stick. Donald Trump will not be running for president in 2024. That's too far away. And, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, the way it's going for him right now, there is absolutely no way the Republicans want him to be the candidate. He's too divisive in what he's doing. He makes too many mistakes. He acts really stupid. And uh, it's, it's just not likely that they're going to want to run him. They're going to want to change things up. Here's what's going to happen, and we'll see if I'm right. After the midterms, the Democrats will do one thing. They'll start to showcase Kamala Harris. She's been kind of under the radar for the first two years. Nobody knows anything about her. Nobody is really impressed with her. I have a feeling if Joe Biden decides he doesn't want to run in 2024, they're going to do everything they can to spotlight Kamala Harris because she is the heir apparent in this situation. It's a funny thing. Nobody's really talking about her running in 2024. But theoretically, if Joe Biden doesn't run, it would almost be a snub. It'd almost be unheard of for Kamala not to be the candidate. Now, the fact of the matter is, if she isn't a strong enough candidate, they don't want to run her. So they'll have to snub her and put somebody else in there. It could be Gavin Newsom. It could be anybody. So they're going to try to spotlight her. But what's going to happen after the midterms, assuming it goes the way I suspect it will go, and that meaning that the uh, that the uh, Democrats will expose all the bad of Donald Trump, and he will just be a liability more than an asset, then you will see the Republican Party stepping away from Donald Trump in mass. And they'll try to vilify him and try to knock him down and get rid of him. It's not about loyalty. Now, there will be 30% of this country that will stand by him, but the vast majority of the Republicans will want to be rid of him. We're already seeing people backing away from him. If they lose the midterms, and the Democrats have all the power in the House and the Senate and in the Oval Office, they've got nothing left to do but then to shit-can Donald Trump, and that's exactly what they will do. So if the midterms go as I expect with Democrats winning the House and the Senate and expanding the margins to a certain extent, Kamala will be showcased, Donald Trump will get his ass kicked out of the Republican Party. Because at that point, they have to decide, well, what we're doing here isn't working, so we better change it up. If we have any hopes of even trying to compete in 2024, we better put on a different dog and pony show. And Donald Trump's dog and pony show will be played out at that point. They won't be happy about him, and they will cut him loose just as fast as they fucking want to. It won't even be a question. All right. Now, here's an interesting contrast. Um, Sadly, we know that uh, Puerto Rico was hit by another hurricane. Not as big as the other one that really caused extensive damages, but this caused some problems. The devastation in Puerto Rico has so far sparked a quick response from Washington, but the federal government's effectiveness is poised to be tested by the territorial structure issues that remain fragile exactly five years after Hurricane Marie wrecked the island. 
Now, you remember what Donald Trump did when Hurricane Marie absolutely devastated Puerto Rico. He went down there, hyped himself up, and then threw paper towels to these people. Well, it's a different situation now. This is Hurricane Fiona. Again, it knocked out power island-wide, caused landslides and flooding and destroyed infrastructure sites that are all too familiar for Puerto Rico after Maria in 2017. It wasn't as destructive because there wasn't as much wind, but there was a lot of flooding and Puerto Rico Health Secretary Carlos Mulatto uh, said it's affected a lot of places that flooded where typically there is no flooding. Fiona was a tropical storm when it hit the island, growing into a Category 1 hurricane during its path over Puerto Rico. President Biden issued an emergency declaration hours before the storm was upgraded Sunday morning. Now, if you remember, Donald Trump, didn't even understand that Puerto Rico was part of the United States. That's how fucking stupid he is. While the flooding, power, and water outages and landslides present a very real danger to an already traumatized population, Fiona pales in comparison to the sheer destruction of Maria, which struck with 200-mile-per-hour winds. Still, Fiona dumped 25 to 27 inches of rain on the island, which is devastating, the equivalent of 1.1 million Olympic-sized swimming pools compared to about 32 inches during Marie. Biden activated emergency funds after Puerto Rico Governor Pedro Pierluisi declared state of emergency. The White House has has not yet said if the president will visit Puerto Rico. He definitely won't be throwing out paper towels, I guarantee you that. Since he returned to the U.S. after a short trip to London for Queen Elizabeth's funeral on Monday and then left for the United Nations in New York on Tuesday. In a call, um, in a call with Pierre Lucy, uh, Luisi during the flight back from London, Biden said the governor discussed the immediate needs of Puerto Rico, including federal support to the island as the cabinet level federal officials uh, contacted their Puerto Rican counterparts, including Mulatto, who uh, coordinated with health and human services, Xavier Becerra. Biden said there were over 300 federal personnel personnel already working to assist. uh, And in the coming days, as damage assessments are conducted, the, member, the number of uh, support personnel will increase substantially. Meanwhile, FEMA Administrator uh, Deanne Criswell traveled to Puerto Rico on Tuesday. See the big difference here? We've got uh, Donald Trump with a devastating hurricane, Marie, which almost wiped out Puerto Rico. And he did jack shit. In fact, he tried to to avoid to do shit because he didn't realize that Puerto Rico was part of America. I mean, that's how stupid he is. We get a a smaller hurricane that hits it, but equally as devastating when it comes to flooding. And Joe Biden's on top of it. He's doing what he can to make things comfortable for for the people of Puerto Rico. And I got to say, I've been to Puerto Rico a couple times. It's a lovely place and the people are absolutely wonderful. I I had great experiences when I went to Puerto Rico. 
And uh, they are one of us. They are Americans. Even though they're not officially a state, they could be. If it wasn't for the Republicans, they would be. The Republicans feared that they would be too democratic and uh, might be a threat to their elections. And they probably would. But Puerto Rico should be a state. And Washington, D.C. should be a state. But that would cause all kinds of problems for the Republicans. Maybe if the Republicans lose big in the midterms, we can address those issues as well. Now, as many of you remember, Marie exposed the weaknesses of the infrastructure on the island and the callousness. Uh, remember uh, the paper towels, as I mentioned, the callousness of the federal response by the Trump administration, said Majority Leader Charles Schumer at an event observing the five-year anniversary of Marie, uh, Maria in the Capitol Tuesday. Still in the first days after Maria hit, the Trump White House telegraphed uh, an intention to quickly respond. I'm not going to defend Trump, said Carlos Mercator, a political consultant who in 2017 was heading the Puerto Rico Federal Affairs Administration, the territory's office in Washington. From the start, I had conversations with the president. I wasn't even the governor, and I talked to the president twice, and the governor talked to him about four times, says Merceder. But Merceder and Trump himself and his top officials, then director of the Office of Management and Budget, Mick Mulvaney, was a despot, blocked relief and recovery funds with red tape, implementing accounting processes and designed to slow disbursements down to the island. This is an island that is part of this country and is in a desperate, desperate state. And what does Donald Trump and Trump administration do? Do everything they can to make it difficult. If anything, the first job of our government is to protect its citizens. When there are emergencies like this, whether it be on the uh, 48 contiguous states in Alaska, Hawaii, or Puerto Rico for that matter, we need our government to react quickly and decisively and do everything they can to help these people that are struggling. But when Donald Trump was in office, they didn't give fuck all about it. It was just about press for them and how they would um, benefit from it. Now, this story I find kind of interesting because it involves my home state of Minnesota. I'm not in Minnesota right now, but that's where I live. And I found this particularly disgusting. United States authorities charged 48 people in Minnesota with conspiracy and other counts in what they said Tuesday was the largest pandemic-related fraud scheme yet, stealing $250 million from a federal program that provides meals to low-income children. That's my fucking home state, and those are the people in it. I, I want to find out who these 48 people are, because... Uh, if I happen to run across one of them, I'd like to punch them in the throat. Federal prosecutors say the defendants created companies that claim to be offering food to tens of thousands of children across Minnesota and then sought reimbursement for those meals through the U.S. Department of Agriculture's food nutrition programs. Prosecutors say few meals were actually served and the defendants used the money to buy luxury cars, property, and jewelry.
Jesus Christ. What's that they always say? Minnesota nice? Not in this fucking case. This $250 million is the floor. Andy Luger, the U.S. attorney for Minnesota, said at a news conference, our investigation continues. So it's likely more than $250 million. Many of the companies that claim to be serving food were sponsored by a nonprofit called Feeding Our Future. How wonderful. Which submitted the company's claims for reimbursement. Feeding Our Future's founder and executive director, Amy Bach, was among those indicted. And authorities say she and others and her organization submitted the fraudulent claims for reimbursement and received kickbacks. Bach's attorney said the indictment doesn't indicate guilt or innocence, he said. He wouldn't comment further until seeing the indictment. Well, if you're indicted, they suspect you of being fucking guilty. And it sounds like, motherfucker, you're guilty. In an interview, after law enforcement searched multiple sites in January, including Bach's home and offices, Bach denied stealing money and said she never saw evidence of fraud. What what is she going to say? Earlier this year, the U.S. Department of Justice made prosecuting pandemic-related fraud a priority, The department has already taken enforcement actions related to more than $8 billion in suspected pandemic fraud, including bringing charges in more than 1,000 criminal cases involving losses in excess of $1.1 billion. Federal officials repeatedly described the alleged fraud as brazen and decried that it involved program intended to feed children who needed help during the pandemic. Michael Paul, special agent in charge of the Minneapolis FBI office, called it an astonishing display of deceit. Luger said the government was billed for more than $125 million in fake meals, uh, with some defendants making up names for children by using online random name generator. Jesus. He displayed one form for reimbursement that claimed a site Uh, served exactly 2,500 meals each day, Monday through Friday, with no children ever getting sick or otherwise missing the program. Yeah, that should have been been a red flag. These children were simply invented, Luger said. He said the government has so far recovered $50 in money and property and expects to recover more. The defendants in Minnesota face multiple counts, including conspiracy, wire fraud, money laundering, and bribery. Luger said some of them were arrested Tuesday morning. Authorities announced 47 indictments at the news conference. A 48th person, who is, according to a criminal complaint, was scheduled to board a one-way flight to Ethiopia on Tuesday evening, was arrested sometime after the prosecutor's press conference. Now, according to court documents, the alleged scheme targeted the USDA's federal uh, child nutrition program, which provides food to low-income children and adults. In Minnesota, the funds are administered by the State Department of Education, and meals have historically been provided to kids through educational programs such as schools or daycare centers. The sites that serve food are sponsored by public nonprofit groups, such as Feeding Our Future, 
The sponsoring agency keeps about 10 to 15 percent of the reimbursement funds as administrative fees in exchange for submitting claims, sponsoring the sites, and dispersing the funds. But during the pandemic, some of the standard requirements for sites to participate in federal food nutrition programs were waived. The USDA allowed for profit restaurants to participate and allowed food to be distributed outside educational programs. The charging documents say the defendants exploited such changes to enrich themselves. This is what these people do. We have a problem. We have a crisis. And all they can think of is, well, shit, I can profit from that motherfucker. I mean, that's how despicable these people are. And I'm particularly ashamed that this is happening in Minnesota. We would expect better of our own people, but that's not the case. These people should be tried, convicted, and severely punished. It's one thing to steal money from the government, but you're stealing money and food from children in need. What kind of piece of shit are these people? This Amy Bach, I hope she shows up someplace. I'd love to sit down and talk to her. She'll talk a good game, but she's clearly very guilty, and she should be taken to task and punished severely. Well, anyway, we got through this cold and all. I'll do another podcast tomorrow. Hopefully, I'm feeling a little better than I felt today. And then, of course, Friday, I'll be back home in a normal situation And uh, hopefully the cold will be on the way out by then. At least I'm counting on that. I want to thank you for taking the time that you do to listen. I'm glad I'm back on track here. I hope you have a great day. And we will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.